You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredHeBakes.com. That's FredHeBakes.com. Folks, if you're looking for some delicious baked goods, why not head on over to FredHeBakes.com and use the coupon code NOLOVELOST to get 20% off of your order. Go ahead and treat yourself. You deserve it. And if you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, why not head on over to the Podcast Jukebox Network, where you can get some No Love Lost t-shirts and Crazy About Kurt t-shirts. Guys, I apologize again for the lateness of this particular upload. Um, I started working a new day job, and it's made it difficult to carve out time to edit. Really appreciate you guys sticking with us while we figure things out. So thank you so, so much. I hope you're all staying healthy and happy and staying safe. And on that note, Michelle, if you would be so kind. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash, and there are others, and there are numbers, and it all means something supposedly, but even though there are times we We had to go back. I don't know. I think I still have time to make my getaway in a Camaro. I don't know. It's going to catch up with you, though. (laughs) Welcome back to No Love Lost, the podcast where we break down every episode from every season of the hit ABC television series Lost. I'm Will Link, and with me as always... Megan Salinas, hey everybody. And we are here to break down Season 4, Episode 1, The Beginning of the End. Megan, I can't believe we're on Season 4. It's only been years of us (laughs) doing this. I can't believe it either. I... I, I have both been dreading this day, but um, but also kind of looking forward to it because I, I've only watched through this entire series once and seasons one, two, and three are the only ones I had like pretty concretely in my brain. Seasons four through six are very much a blur for me. Um, so I'm excited about finally getting to the point where I don't remember the show as well um was more liberal about skipping episodes uh but also I've been dreading it because in my head this is where the show really starts to go downhill um whether or not that's I'm remembering correctly I think is up for debate well I would argue that season four might be my favorite season so I'm excited to revisit it for that reason. You're you're not the only person who said that. I, I believe we've had one or two guests who, who spoke very highly of season four. So you're not alone in that opinion of season four being a high point. Well, um, well one, one reason why I think season four for me is a high point is it was, you know, season three of Lost was getting a little stale. And season... Yes, we've had extensive conversations about that. (laughs) And season four 
is when the show tried to reinvent itself. Now, I, I think it did so successfully. It, it, it broadened the world. It had the flash forwards. It had the freighter people. It had, you know, time traveling rabbits, your favorite thing. Hold on, hold on, hold on. on. Okay, continue. (laughs) And, you know, it, it 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 was taking some big swings that I think it connected on. And it was it, it it shook up the format. It like it needed this breath of fresh air. The other thing, and this is also interesting about the title, the beginning of the end. It is a very meta title because this was when basically Lindelof and Coos, who wrote this episode, episode directed by Jack Bender, by the way, but you probably could have guessed that. Um, <laughs> When they this, is this where was, they were actively trying to get to that endpoint, right? Yes, this was when they basically said, "We need this many more episodes." So the seasons are shorter; they're going to move a little faster, and um, they're working towards something uh, in a way that they might not have been. Whether you want to buy how long they knew they were working towards this thing that's another conversation but there 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 there's more forward momentum than saying a couple of saying like half of season three where we're spinning our wheels where john locke's working on a pot farm and kate's <laughs> married to nathan fillion you know yeah no and and definitely um Again, this is a small sample size because we're we're only on episode one for this season. But to this episode's credit, you really do feel that sense of forward momentum. Like, um, in my head, this episode is actually very reminiscent of you know that episode in season three where you know after after lots and lots of filler episodes all of a sudden it became amazing as sawyer and kate made their escape from the other's compound and jack had been at his mercy you know on the operating table yes. and things were like super excited and exciting and crazy i feel like this is that uh, this this feels a lot like that, you know, minus some of that really high tension stuff. Like this is all of that same like momentum and build up and personal stakes without like without it being like the climax of what we're whatever it is we're getting to. Like this this was a really good start to this season. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so confused. I'm like, but I hate this season, but this episode was so good, but I hate this season. <laughs> well, this this episode, I think there's a, two things really well. One, it sets the tone of what is to come, be it in the flash forwards, this idea where all the characters are going to start to come to this realization that they have to go back and we get to unravel the mystery as to why. And... Also setting up the freighter people who are about to arrive. But the other thing this episode does well, it's a really good character episode. It's a really good Hurley episode, and it keeps the emotional focus on him really well. I I concur with that assessment wholeheartedly. Um, before we start to dig into it, should I do that thing I do? Do that thing you do. 
<laughs> if this, for whatever reason, is your first episode of No Love Lost, just as a fair warning, we could be talking about anything from any given point in time in the Lost timeline, uh, as you might have already guessed with the time-traveling bunnies discussion <laughs> earlier. So this is your fair warning. There will be spoilers ahead, potentially for the entirety of the series. So that is your warning. So even though it is uh, they're they're shaking things up, I don't think we need to shake things up. I think in our format it'll still work if we now do the flash forward first and then go back to the island. Works for me. Okay. Well, the episode starts with what I I had remembered this shot very well, and I think it's a fun little little misdirect of like oh a nice little tropical setting and look at this fruit stacked here and then it just boom blows that out of the water with a like a bitchin camaro <laughs> piling through it um it's, it's a it's a fast and furious scene right here starting off uh <laughs> starting off on lost it's weird they should have got jorge garcia in one of those movies it's not too late it's not too late. I mean, hey, 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 Anna Lucia is already in those movies. That's true. That's we, true. We could bring in Jorge. That's all I'm saying. Um, And we see Jack, like all good Los Angelinos, watching a car chase on television. <laughs> and he's pouring himself, a, he's making himself a screwdriver, like to point out as well. Got to start that day off right. I I feel I, I I very much appreciated this cold open in the same way that I appreciate whenever they they do episodes that take place in Los Angeles, like um, talking about the ten and La Brea and all you know dropping all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, they're talking about home, even <laughs> though they're in Hawaii. That's nice. <laughs> so. This this uh, car chase comes to an end, and the cops got their guns drawn and telling them to get out of the car. And who gets out of the car but our good buddy Hurley? And then what does Hurley do? He makes a run for it. Not a good move. <laughs> um, and the police grab him, and he starts screaming that uh, he's one of the Oceanic Six. Uh, this, I remember this moment really well, because this was the equivalent of what the other two seasons did, where, where when we realized the beginning of season two, there's a guy down this hatch. And when we realized in the, uh, beginning of season three, this house we're having this book club at is on the island. When Hurley says the Oceanic Six immediately, and the internets went crazy, Everyone was trying to figure out who were the other five. Because we knew we knew Jack and we knew Kate. And then we knew Hurley. So then the three more. And like I remember everybody trying to figure out who's gonna be the other ones. Uh do you remember if you guessed correctly? Because I, I don't remember this cold open at all. This was this was a delightful surprise to me rewatching it today. <laughs> well, I think we started to figure it out pretty quickly because we started to see more flash forward episodes and then we're like, Oh, Saeed's off the Island or, Oh, like Sun's off the Island. But yeah, I think the people who make it off the Island make a lot of sense, you know, but like, we, looking back in hindsight, 
But this set up a great thing because throughout the season then, especially when you get to the last few episodes, you're trying to figure out what scenario puts all these people together. Like, how do they all, like, how are they all going to, oh, so-and-so's on the freighter, but this person's over at the barracks, and this person's like, how are they all going to come together? How are these going to be the people who leave the island? That was always uh, uh, what was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's like, um, and it's one of those things where, you know how, uh, I think we've discussed this a little bit before, how some people don't like prequels because they think that, knowing how something ultimately ends up uh, takes away from the stakes. I would say that in some cases that's very true, but in other cases, you know, it's all in the execution. Um, in other cases, it's just like you said, it's, it's exciting to get to see how that journey plays out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think this season really, really builds to in a good way. Um, so the next time we see Hurley, uh, he's in the, uh, you know, he's getting uh, interrogated by Anna Lucia, the before mentioned uh, Anna Lucia's uh, ex-partner. I was going to say she's back from the dead. <laughs> what? Actually, it would not have been out of the ordinary for him to have been interrogated by Anna Lucia, considering what we see two seconds later. <laughs> well, I mean, that, I mean... D- Maybe you forget, but that does happen at some point. <laughs> yeah, not today, though. <laughs> not today. Um, and I we know st- we see her again, but yeah, not today. Not today. <laughs> and there's this moment that's kind of little heartbreaking and makes you realize that there's a big lie going on here. When when her partner mentions Anne Lucia and Hurley, who's a very, like, honest guy who wants to make people you know happy has to say that he never met her didn't know who I Anna mean, Lucia was we we've seen this before on the island Hurley is one of the worst people on the island to try to keep a secret yeah like he has trouble keeping track of who's supposed to know what and he has like it's just Especially being raised in a religious household, he has like this inherent dislike of dishonesty um, that's like ingrained in him. And it's something I both respect and also feel a lot of empathy for him for because it's it's like he is not in an enviable position right now being forced to lie, especially to somebody who knew Anna Lucia. He could have been like, yeah, I knew her. Um, she made a lot of mistakes, but you know, at, at the end of the day, she was trying to be better. And you know, he could have provided some comfort to this guy, um, but no, he has to lie and say, "Nope, never met her. Sorry." And that's awful because this guy's never gonna get cl- like Hurley gave him a chance for closure, and that's never gonna happen for him now. Um, we also see the video of the convenience store he was in, where which started this this police chase and it seems like he sees someone or something and it spooks him and he runs and we're trying to figure out what that is and he's left alone in the interrogation room and he has a vision through like the uh the mirror there the two-way mirror there um, i actually liked this effect i i i feel like it could have come off as really cheesy but i think it worked here 
Yeah, I think it works too. And the vision is basically Charlie. You don't really see the face, but it's basically Charlie coming up to the glass like he like and then it, it cracks and it's full of water and the room starts flooding and Hurley starts freaking out. But of course, the room isn't really flooding and the cop comes back and it's basically like, I'm going to send you to the loony bin and and uh, or the nut house, he calls it, I think. And Hurley's like, oh, please do. Please, I need psychiatric help. <laughs> I mean, more cops should do that of like, clearly this person needs to undergo a psychiatric evaluation and they should receive the help that they need. <laughs> and when we do see him next, he's back in his old haunt of the the mental institution and he's having a great time. He's playing Connect Four. He seems He seems relatively happy. And we'll never know why Libby was there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unrelated. But yeah, I'm I'm glad that Hurley I'm glad that Hurley's in a in a good place at the moment. And he's there and it's it, but it's only a moment because he's got a visitor. And there's this great thing going on in this episode that like when he has visitors, like, is this person really there? Or are they not? And he he looks over and there's this man, Matthew Adagnon, um, played by Lance Reddick, who's a terrific actor. Um, oh, you probably. I mean, this guy was in every sci-fi show for a little while, he was right? On if Fringe. I'm not yeah, yeah, that's where I recognize him from. And he's uh, he was on that. Uh, he was on that Comedy Central series, uh, was it Corporate? And uh, he's, uh, he, I just saw him recently, although maybe not recently when this episode airs, in, uh, he had a role in One Night in Miami, the movie uh, Regina King directed. So anyway, uh, terrific actor. And he's there and he says that he is an attorney for Oceanic Airlines. And they're very upset. Uh, though what's happening with with Hugo here, and they offer him in uh, an upgrade. You know, they they put him in a nicer facility, Ocean View. No, nah, he doesn't want to see the ocean though, Hurley. Aw, um, poor Hurley. <laughs> and it's such, a, it's such a good moment, but it's such a sad moment too. And yeah, after we had already in this episode in the island storyline see him cannonball into the ocean he doesn't want to be near the ocean uh, now. my heart um so he says he's fine and uh he's he, met yeah, with he, a oh go ahead oh i was gonna say he's met with a sinister are you fine mr reyes and and that's when he's like Hey, uh, who did you say you were again? Could I, like, see a business card or something? Yes, and he's, he left them all at home. You know why? Because uh, this guy couldn't bother to have at least made fake business cards? I don't know. Bad move. Amateur move, Matthew. I, I Real quick, do we see this guy again? Yes. Okay, because I was like, if he's just here to um to to scare hugo like i wasn't sure of like i i figured it 
I mean, he's a great character actor, so I figured he would come back. Like, it would be such a waste to bring him in for one episode and then never see him again. But we've seen character actors do that on this show. <laughs> you're gonna um, you're gonna see him team up with uh, John Locke at one point. I don't have any memory of that <laughs> whatsoever. It's all it's all gone. It's all gone from my brain. I'm pretty sure I removed it all to make room for other television tidbits <laughs> that and, I have also since forgotten. <laughs> and then he gives an equally sinister, like, are they still alive? At, <gasps> bum, to, bum. to which Hurley freaks out and he goes and he uh he starts yelling and when he turns back around, Matthew is gone, but not like a disappearing gone. It's clear he just like walked Walking out the door. Out the door. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you see him like exiting. Like I think you see exiting. the door like, yeah. Like um, he, he's halfway out the door when the camera cuts back to him. But all this is feeding into this whole... You know, like, is Hurley seeing things or not? Because the next time we see Hurley, he's sitting outside. But interestingly enough, he's not the first person to see somebody. Somebody comes up to him and says, there's a guy staring at you. Now, that's a good friend. That's a good friend. (laughs) You notice a creeper, uh, like, you notice a creeper hanging out and uh you know keeping like keeping a close eye on your friend it, this this was a good move this is a good friend i don't know who this person was but he's a good friend to hurley but there's charlie and hurley is you know freaked out but charlie's trying to be like hey you know calm down he's like you're dead he's like i'm dead but i'm also here and he slaps him to prove it uh now i'm going to say this no, no. I mean, this. I'm about to say something that's really stupid. But <laughs> is is the sentence "Lost" is the greatest show ever? Because that is stupid. That's the I'm smartest kidding. thing I've ever said. <laughs> um, the I don't know. Like, if I saw the dead friend of mine appear in front of me. I don't know whether I would like just my instinct would be to run away, but it's stupid for me to question this because Hurley has had very different experiences than I have. So let's uh, no judgment there. I Uh, mean, in Hurley's defense, he's been to a magical island, but has also suffered a mental breakdown. Also. Also, basically, what I'm saying is, like, if I saw the dead rise, I'm I'm claiming I would be non-post. Like that that can't be, like I made that statement just now. That can't be true. That can't be true. I would I would freak out. What am I talking about? That I'd be like, if I saw somebody I know who died, if I would just be like, hey, how's oh, good to see you again. I'd I'd be I'd be freaked the fuck out. Um, see, my first thought, uh, unless. Unless I actually saw it happen, my first thought seeing a, a friend who happened to be dead um, walking around saying hi, who then slaps me um, to prove that they're there, my first thought wouldn't be that they were dead so much that they faked their own death. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be furious with them for making me more <laughs> for no reason. So Charlie 
in her early have a little bit of a, you know, a heart to heart where he talks about like, uh, he asked him if he knew he was going to die. And Charlie was like, yeah, I knew. And, you know, he would have, Hurley would have tried to talk him out of it uh, if he had told him. And then Charlie reminds him, though, you know, they need you. And Hurley doesn't want to hear, Hurley doesn't want to hear anything about having a, be reminded of the people on the island. He's, he's, he's freaked out about all this. So I think this was the point of having that his fellow patient point out that Charlie was here because that means that Charlie is not a manifestation of Hugo's guilt. Oh, that's interesting. Because we know that the last time Hurley was here, he had an imaginary friend who was the manifestation i guess of his eating disorder i I, or i I guess specifically the manifestation of his guilt that drove him to eat yeah um, to overeat um so yeah this isn't charlie isn't like dave here he he's because i i don't believe that in the episode with dave back in season two i don't believe any of his fellow patients could see dave it really was just a manifestation of his own guilt that's not the case here. Charlie is either a spirit that is appearing as a normal person to everybody here, or he's a, a spirit that is only appearing to people who are able to see dead people. So, Hurley, you know, he's playing basketball one day, and who walks in? Everyone's favorite doctor. Jack Shepard. And he's there to visit Hurley. And he's like, hey, I was I was in the area, basically. And I'm like, how about a game of horse? Couple of things from this. One, Jack is terrible at basketball. Terrible <laughs> basketball player. He's he's a much better uh ping oh no, no, he was good at playing cards. He wasn't good at playing table tennis. Um, and he's not good at basketball. Okay, so sports are not necessarily Jack's forte. He's an all he's an alright golfer, we're led to believe. You know what? He's a runner. He's a runner. Yes. He's a, like Okay, Jack, you get points with me for being a runner. But yeah, all all other sports that require hand-eye coordination, this is where Jack and I are actually simpatico. <laughs> if a sport requires hand-eye coordination, we're not good at it. <laughs> and, Which is interesting because he's a surgeon, so he's really good with his hands. And Jack is basically just there, not to see, really, not because he really gives a shit. He's there to make sure Hurley's not going to, like, spill the beans on their secret. What secret? Again, they do a great job in the first episode back of setting up a whole bunch of mysteries. And these are tangible mysteries. These aren't, like, what's the smoke monster? These are things that we know based on where we are in the story that we will definitely get answers to. We will definitely get answers to who the Oceanic Six are. We will definitely get answers to um, why they have a secret between them. We will definitely- It's almost like mysteries that are grounded in reality are inherently better. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. 
<laughs> but I it. would, I'll but it, it, but it wouldn't make mysteries that aren't inherently bad either. I'm still gonna take the win. <laughs> um, but then we're set up with one more mystery at the end of this, uh, where Hurley says, "Sorry, I went with Locke." Where on the island we have seen, and we'll get to in a little bit. Hurley has gone off with Locke. So now we know something about that didn't quite work out. Um, Another thing, another thing we're going to get an answer to. And then the kicker is Hurley tells Jack the island wants us to come back. And Jack says he's never going back. But (laughs) if we remember from the fantastic final moments of season three, Jack says, we have to go back. back. Um, I also like that he says he's considering growing a beard. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And Hurley thinks it'll look weird because it will. Um, I I do. I like like this. I I really, you know, just like we were talking about where uh, something being a prequel doesn't inherently mean it's devoid of stakes just because we know how it's going to pan out. Uh, Hurley saying I shouldn't have gone with Locke is a really good hook to seeing how all of that ultimately ends up not panning out great. And I, I'm i kind of glad I don't remember exactly how it pans out because I'm interested in like going on that journey again. Um, and, uh, no, you know, having Charlie says they need you um, and that only six people got off the island. What they need you tells us is that the people who are still on the island are alive. Like they left behind people, not because they they died because of the the you know people coming to the island, um, but for some other reason, you know. Yeah. So this is all good stuff. This is all good stuff. So let's go to the island, the place where Jack claims he will never return. Um, celebratory mood. Everybody's very excited because the the signal has been unjammed and they're calling the freighter and they they killed the others on the beach and it's just it's good times all around. Help is on the way! Woo! Uh, Hurley radios Jack and Jack says he talked to the freighter people they're, they're just, everybody's, everybody's in a really high spirits. Um, except one man, John Locke, who has once again vanished into the jungle. He came out, he threw a knife into Naomi's back, and now he's gone. <laughs> Classic John. <laughs> and Last to arrive and first to leave. And Jack is asked, what are you going to do if Locke comes back? He goes, well, I'm going to kill him. (laughs) I mean, Locke did just murder someone apropos of seemingly nothing. So I can't really... Look, I've said multiple times on this podcast I don't condone murder, but I can understand Jack's mentality at this point. (laughs) And Kate says to Jack, are we really going home? And it's a nice moment because we know the two of them are and apparently four other people, but not all, not everybody. Um, 
then, you know, there's this bittersweet moment where Rose tells Claire about how her man is the real hero and that she better treat him good when he comes <laughs> back. <laughs> and, and this is funny, too, because, like, I think this is pretty much as saucy as, as like, anybody on the island gets <laughs> because Claire is like, Rose! <laughs> and did we, I think we've had this conversation. We don't think they consummated their relationship, Charlie and Claire, right? The question of whether or not they've slept together is a giant question mark. Uh, I, I think you said that your answer was you don't think they have. Yeah. My answer is a shrug. My my answer is a shrug because, again, at the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily matter because, yeah, I mean, you know, at, he, oh, was go gonna ahead, get, go he was going to get some of that sweet I Got Us All Rescued sex, <laughs> which, as you all know, is the best sex you can have. I mean, they've been at the end of the series, they get to be together forever. So it, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, he does miss out on you're a hero sex. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Ben is telling Rousseau, hey, you got to get you got to get Alex out of here. Like, it's not going to be good. But uh, Rousseau don't want to deal with uh, Ben, especially after Ben calls Alex uh, his daughter. I loved this moment. Like, not only was it like, you know, Ben, you know, pleading with Rousseau for Alex's safety, but then like, it, it was, just, it was such a good moment because he's like, I will not have my daughter. And she just shuts that shit down of like, oh, hell no, you did not just go there. I really liked this moment because it's, it's really good because one, it comes from a genuine place of concern from Ben because out of everything, he only cares about himself and his daughter. And it's in that order. <laughs> um, out of all the things he cares about, he cares about himself. And then his daughter is second. Um, Another uh, reason why I really love this season. I think it is Ben's best season. I think Michael Emerson, uh, is incredible in the season. Although weirdly enough, he ends up winning an Emmy for season five. I was going to say, do you think that's, um, do you think that's like, cause sometimes, and, and you and I both understand this. Sometimes the Emmys are a little slow to give credit where credit is due. Do you think that that was because the strength of his performances in season five, or do you think that's the Emmys He's, making up for lost time? Like they did with the wonderful Tatiana Maslany who deserved an Emmy way earlier than she got one. <laughs> um, I, you know, he's excellent in season five too. And he has some standout episodes. Um, I'd have to go back and see who his competition was. Uh, yeah, I don't a remember. Lot of, a lot of times it's about the... I, I can remember all Oscar competition. Emmy competition is a little trickier for me. Um, yeah. So then... But, we, but yeah, long story short, this this moment was great. And it's really... Like, I don't remember a ton from this season. I don't remember. Is it season four or season five where Alex dies? I think it's this season, right? Uh, yes, it is. Okay, in that case, this is decent foreshadowing, too. Yeah, it's, um, 
And that episode is a great, the episode when Alex dies is a great episode. Um, so meanwhile, back on the beach, Hurley's like feeling good. He tells Bernard he won the lottery. Uh, he's got $150 million and he's so excited that he'll be free of this money because they probably thought he was dead and the money's probably all gone. Yeah, uh, and I think the only other person he's told that to is Charlie, right? And Charlie, like, basically told him to go scratch. Like, Charlie didn't believe him. Yeah. <laughs> um, And then Hurley, like, triumphantly does this cannonball. He wants to do a cannonball, and Bernard's like, go for it. And Hurley does it, and when he emerges from the ocean, that's when everything on the island starts to go to hell. He got one nice moment before before everything came undone. You can argue it's the last moment Hurley is happy until the very end of the series. Oh, please tell me that's not true. He's got to have some good times in between now and then, right? Well, you're going to see him laugh and tell a joke and smile, but is he truly happy? <laughs> <laughs> I... <laughs> oh, that's upsetting. <laughs> oh, so, too real, well, too real. So Desmond has come back, and he's ranting and raving like, "You need to stop Jack from calling the the freighter. You need to stop him." Blah blah blah. And he's trying to explain, but he's doing that thing where you half explain because there's no time, but not that there's much of a story to tell anyway, because he doesn't really know. And finally, Hurley just screams through the chaos, where's Charlie? And Aww. we know, we know. Um, so now a debate begins. Saeed doesn't want to call Jack on the walkie-talkie, tell him not to call the freighter, because he thinks the freighter would be monitoring these transmissions. Sawyer disagrees and says, let's call Jack. Hurley takes matters <laughs> to his own hands, throws the walkie-talkie <laughs> into the ocean, and says we're marching into the jungle to go tell Jack. Because Hurley is ultimately the leader that the island deserves. I will say, like, I, Sawyer, I love you. Listen to the communications expert, you know? <laughs> Saeed has a very, he's got some very specific areas of expertise. Listen to the communications guy. And look, quite frankly, they've already contacted the freighter at this point. I yeah, mean, exactly. the freighter doesn't have their position, but... They've spoken to somebody. Speaking of, Freighter needs to get the position. And they're talking to Jack. And they're like, hey, the sat phone needs to be rejiggered. Why don't uh, you you get Naomi? Now She's the only one qualified to rejigger it. <laughs> Specifically. Now, the other now the funny thing is uh Naomi is dead or is she bum, bum, bum. um 
Jack makes up some terrible excuse. Like, it's really awful. Like, what's the game plan here, Jack? Like, Well, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, that's a terrible lie, Jack. But we already know that Jack is a terrible liar. We see it in the flash forward. We've seen it multiple times throughout the series. Jack does it. Like, for a guy who's really good at cards, he's got a terrible poker face, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So... Jack makes up some lame excuse about firewood, uh, which Ben gives him shit about later. Um, (laughs) Naomi's gone. They're like, we got to track her down. And Kate's like, well, you know, there are uh, two. uh, Yeah, Rousseau found a trail and Kate found a trail. Two differing trails. And Jack's like, look, She's bleeding. She's not playing tricks on us. She's just, let's just follow Russo's trail. And Kate, you go back to back with everybody to the beach. And Kate's like, okay. And there's this great moment where Ben sees something. Ben's always noticing something. <laughs> and we don't know what it is. But, you know, well, you know. Well, Kate gives Jack a hug. You know, because yes. he, 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 and granted, again, they have wonderful chemistry together because he's like, there's like, even right now, there was going to be one thing, you know, before we got rescued that you and I just couldn't agree about. Um, and it's cute. It's he's cute. like, we're going to be on a boat a couple hours from now. We're going to be on a boat laughing about how there was one last thing. Exactly. And it's, it's cute. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, Jack. You always listen to Detective Kate when she's on the case. I mean, this is a perfect <laughs> example of Detective Kate being right. Let's go. Let's let's play this this storyline out before we get back to the, everybody else. Then sounds good. So Jack goes down this one trail with Rousseau. Trail runs cold, and guess what? Naomi was tricking them they they should have listened to kate she's a very very pragmatic dead person and like to her like granted i think there's a little bit of hand wavy plot stuff here because i don't know how somebody who was that hurt could have made a dummy trail and doubled back without notice but i guess the idea is that she was very determined (laughs) um even though she was deathly injured. Um, so that's the one thing I kind of raise an eyebrow out. I, I raise an eyebrow at. But, how about this? And I like then, how it plays out, though. How about this then also? Ben points out that when Kate hugged him, this is what he saw. She took the sat phone. <laughs> now, I'm going to say this. Jack. Oh, man. Jack's always screwing something up. Jack, the sat phone is the only thing that's getting you off that island. You're not, you don't know where that phone is? I would know where that phone is constantly. It would not leave my, I'd have a death grip on it. Now, here's the thing. I will give some credit because I'm the type of person that loses my keys all the time. I get it. I'm the type of person that like my sunglasses will be on my head and I'll be looking around for them being like, where are my sunglasses? So to an extent, I get it. However, I will point out 
that when it comes to my phone and anytime I go out with my phone, usually my phone is my source of either like directions or entertainment when I'm going out because I'm either listening to music or pot or like listening to a podcast. So anytime I go for a walk or a run, I have like a, I always know exactly where on my person my phone is at almost any given time of the day. And it's just purely for entertainment purposes. If it was my phone, you know, if it was a satellite phone that I needed to like rescue, like that, that was instrumental to my rescue, you're absolutely right. Well, I would have an ironclad grip on that motherfucker. Hey, and I would also, not be letting it go for anything. I'm going to point this out too. That satellite phone, that's got to be at least three times, four times the size of your phone that you already have a death grip on. So how's he not <laughs> noticing Anyway. Also, in what was this? Uh, it, this is taking place in 2004, even though the like the actual season aired in like 2008 or nine. One of one of the two. No, uh, I I, th- I don't even think that. I think it might be more. Um, maybe seven. Doesn't matter. It was in the days before flip phones <laughs> were really commonplace. Um, so a satellite phone would have been a super expensive version of you know regular cell phones and regular cell phones were still pretty novel and new so yeah hold on to that shit jack well kate did take the right trail and all of a sudden from out of a tree a very angry naomi ambushes her and kate is basically like hey we had no part of that crazy John <laughs> Locke thing. We're not with him. We're not affiliated with him. <laughs> and Naomi calls on the sat phone. And she doesn't sell him out. She she claims she had an, an accident when she parachuted, which was true. Yeah. And, 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 you know, in her defense, it's a really good lie because theoretically she wouldn't have recovered this quickly, you know, from, from that particular type of injury. And then, uh, she changes the frequency on the phone and then she dies. Which I, again, mostly because I only halfway remember how this pans out. I don't know if this was a cool move or not. (laughs) Was that cool, Naomi? I I don't know. Was she being cool or did she send them like a secret message of like, hey, these guys suck and they're responsible for my deaths? Or were they just planning on murdering everybody anyway? Well, I guess that's what you think of, depending on what you think of the freighter people. And I think some of the freighter people are cool and some of the freighter people are definitely not cool. (laughs) The opposite of cool, in fact. Um, (laughs) So are we assuming that Naomi was one of the cool ones? I think Naomi sent a signal to her ship for them to come get her. I don't even know if there was anything nefarious or anything altruistic about it. I think it was just... She was just somebody doing her job? Yeah. So again, was it cool or was it not cool to like... For her to not, I guess it depends it, on how much Naomi knew. Was know? it cool or was it not cool for Locke to throw a knife into her back? I would say the opposite of cool <laughs> <laughs> for me personally. Not understanding Naomi's motives or intent, um, 
I know Locke justifies that that it like Locke would justify it by saying that her motives didn't matter or whether or not she was a good person didn't matter. What she was doing was endangering everybody, whether she knew it or not. So that's Locke's justification for it. I sit here and I go, well, if Naomi was one of the cool ones, then that was a not cool thing to do, John. Um, let's yeah, not John, go. John often thinks he knows more than he actually does. So I'm going to yeah. go ahead. I'm going to stand here and say, not cool, John. <laughs> not cool. So while this is happening... Our boys on the beach are marching in towards, uh, uh, into the island. And, uh, Sawyer, you know, Sawyer being very nice, like, is trying to talk to Hurley. Trying to get Hurley to, to, to talk. Because like, he knows him and Charlie were close. I really liked this moment. And I, again, I don't have a ton of memories about how this season pans out and how subsequent seasons pan out. But I know that a highlight for a lot of fans is Sawyer and Juliet's relationship in season five? Question yes. So, like, seeing how considerate he's being towards Hurley's feelings here, I'm sitting here going, okay, we all loved Sawyer for being that, like, lovable rogue, but is this where Sawyer goes from being a good character to a great one? Question mark? Question mark? I I'll tell you what, it's this season. Because All you right. wanna know what you wanna know what I think it is. And sometimes you have this with characters on shows that go on for a while. Sawyer's a very interesting character from the start. And he's one of my favorite characters. He might be my favorite character. And for three seasons, Sawyer has this baggage of that letter and the man that he wants to kill and all this stuff. He doesn't have that anymore. He's over that. So they can start anew with Sawyer in a lot of ways. And again, that's why I really love season four. It's they bring people out of their comfort zone. You're also going to see in season four and five, particularly in the flashbacks, a much more broken in a different way, Jack. Uh, Jack that's dealing with the ramifications of, oh yeah, that uh, Locke was kind of right about some stuff. That island was kind of magic. Like having to deal with like, you know, what he saw with his own eyes. You're able, this is the season where you're able to shake up some of that stuff and reinvent these people. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know if I agree with, like, whether or not that's a good turn for Jack specifically, because, again, I really don't remember. <laughs> um, so I'm, I am cautiously optimistic about looking at, at season four as, like, a character study for a bunch of different people. So I still don't think I'm ultimately going to like where the plot shakes out, but I think at least looking at, like, the micro level of like character interactions, I think I'm going to enjoy myself at least on that level. So I don't know. We'll see. This is exciting. So Sawyer leaves Hurley alone and Hurley gets weirdly separated from everybody. And he hears whispers and he goes through to a clearing and he finds a shack 
and he walks up to the shack, a shack we've we we've seen a shack before, and he walks <laughs> up to it and he looks inside. And someone is in a rocking chair. And then all of a sudden, an eyeball appears in the window. And then Hurley runs for it, much like he ran from the police. And he's running. And then what does he see? He sees the shack again in a different spot. And he's all freaked out. This is some Blair Witch 2016 bullshit, right? (laughs) it, It really is. And he's kind of does this like there's nothing there, there's nothing there. And he opens his eyes and there's nothing there. Um, Now, this is some crazy, uh, like, Jacob stuff. Like, it's Jacob's shack. That Jacob is the Blair Witch. Okay, that 100% makes sense. No. (laughs) Um, It is interesting thinking that Jacob's shack could be moved to wherever he wanted it to be on the island um i don't i wish that jacob had been a more concrete idea prior to this whole thing because i don't know it it's one of those things where in hindsight i'm like that doesn't make any sense but in the moment it's cool they play look i mean i love the show and i will admit they play Fast and loose with the Jacob rules. Um, but <laughs> I, I mean, I'll be honest. Or just with you. End of sentence. <laughs> I'm having trouble remembering. Like I believe it's it's like Christian. At one point, we see Christian Shepherd in the shack. At one point, we see Claire in the shack. Towards the end of the season. But oh my I'm God, for- what on earth were they doing? <laughs> but I'm forgetting, because remember, Claire disappears for all of season five. Mm-hmm. Um, she's hanging she out in a shack with Jake. <laughs> I think they, well, they, I, I think they, they legit forget about her. <laughs> I think they didn't know. I think they just didn't know what place she could be in the story in the island. Claire is a character who gets a little bit of the short. Sh- shrift in this uh uh yeah yeah show. we've we've talked about that before claire is a huge missed opportunity for this show but um anyway neither here nor there so what hurley does see when he opens his eyes though is john locke and both him and locke are on the same page about one thing the boat is bad news because Hurley has decided he is going to go with what his friend said, what Charlie said. And Charlie said, not Penny's boat. So, Char- and Locke even says, if we don't stop them, if we don't warn them and stop them, Charlie will have died for nothing. So, they go back to Saeed and Sawyer and Juliet, they find them. And Saeed sees Locke and immediately is mad about him blowing up the sub. As well he should be, because that was a dick move, John. Once again, not cool, John. Not cool. You shouldn't have blown up the sub. You shouldn't have killed Naomi. Maybe stop doing things like that. Well, the Na- I mean, he shouldn't have killed Naomi, probably, but also he's not necessarily wrong about the freighter. 
He's not wrong. He's not not wrong. <laughs> no, he still shouldn't have blown up the sub. That was entirely selfish. No, he shouldn't have blown up the sub. There was no reason to blow up the sub. Um. So, <laughs> so the groups unite again. And Hurley sees Claire. And he's going to go. Desmond, I think, was going to go tell Claire. And Hurley's like, no, I'll tell her. And I think this is tremendous. This is like the, the way he tells her, it's like quick and it's blunt and emotional and raw. And he's just over the like. They both just become really overwhelmed. I think it's tremendous. Yeah, I think this might be Jorge Garcia's best performance. Um, definitely one of his most emotional, for sure. Uh, it's I I I love this moment, and because it's like it feels, it feels like the way you would tell somebody something like this in that in that kind of a moment with that kind of emotion taking over yeah yeah no it it felt very raw and i i appreciate the way it was handled and i i very much uh also appreciate how much of this episode is devoting is devoted to dealing with the ramifications of charlie's death because you know i mean there have been other instances in which case you know lost has killed off a character and it doesn't feel like it's handled with the weight that it should be handled. I feel like they handled Charlie's death extremely well. Um. Then Jack shows up and he sees Locke and he attacks Locke and Locke goes for his gun, but Jack grabs the gun and points it right at Locke. And Locke's like, you're not going to shoot me just like I wasn't going to shoot you. And Jack pulls the trigger. And it's not loaded. But Jack pulls that trigger. That's also fucked up. It is, but it's also awesome. It's like, like, don't get me wrong. I don't, I didn't want Jack to kill Locke in this moment. Like I said, I'm not advocating murder at and any you know, point you know in this at podcast. The, and you know at the end of the day, I'm more pro-Locke than I am pro-Jack. Uh, but I think it's, it's it's such an awesome character beat just in terms of like both of their journeys, like what this moment means. The fact that, you know, Jack, a character who like – as a doctor, it is his solemn duty to do no harm. Like, would have, had the gun been loaded, just murdered someone. Like, that's huge. And, and that someone being somebody that they that we know and, like, presumably love. I mean, that people are friendly with. And, you know, right before they're about to, in theory, be rescued. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. They've been butting heads since season one. Um, like there, there was, they've had numerous discussions about you're you're a man of science, I'm a man of faith, et cetera, et cetera. They've been butting heads, and with how things have been escalating, like this was kind of an inevitability at some point. 
And it's just, it is shocking to see that Jack was at the point where he would have pulled the trigger, you know? Um, so it's fascinating. Um, and again, we're all happy that the gun wasn't loaded. And so it it shows that, like, they're at vastly different points in their journey. Like, Locke couldn't bring himself to kill Jack, but Jack was at that point where he would, um, you know, when the tables are turned. It's a fascinating character beat for both of them. And the look on Locke's face, too, after it happens, the look on both of them, like the acting is absolutely phenomenal. And it's one of those things where I'm reminded of just how much more narratively satisfying it would have been if John Locke had been the one being the bad guy at the end of the series (laughs) rather than the man in black. So, um, Um, yeah, it's... It's it's cool. This was a cool moment. I love how Locke is like then explaining, like, oh, look, I did this in the best interest of all of us. And when Jack says, like, are you insane? Like, it, it's a pretty great delivery for Matthew Fox with the, are you insane? Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in this moment. Uh, and then Kate shows up. Everybody's getting back together. Kate yeah. shows up. Um, and she's like, Naomi's dead, but she covered for us. And you know what, John? She was cool. <laughs> and now, yeah. And now the freighter people are coming and Locke's like, well, on that note, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to the barracks. These people are no good. It's the only, like, it's the most fortified place. I'm going, who's coming with me? And Hurley is gonna uh, go with him. And Hurley basically says that Charlie changed his mind. I trust Charlie. I'm gonna listen to my friend. And I get it. I get it. It makes sense because Charlie is, you know, Charlie died with giving this message. Yeah, and he specific he specifically gave his life to deliver this message. So, so yeah, I, if I were in Hurley's shoes, I'd probably do the same. Uh, although I might go actually with Team Rose in terms of like I'm not going oh, yeah. anywhere with that. I mean- <laughs> and that's another great delivery, like because it really shows the divide. Because Rose has every right. To feel that way. Even though Bernard's saying like. You didn't want to leave the island. Should we go with them? And she's like no. Yeah can. Like if I were in Hurley's shoes. I just want to go on a camping trip. With Bernard and Rose. And like not deal. With whatever nonsense. John Locke is going to be up to. (laughs) Hard pass. Hard pass. Ben also asks permission. To go with Locke. Setting up another fun dynamic of. Oh, yeah, the last time you guys uh, uh, were together, uh, uh, you shot Locke and left <laughs> him to death. left him to die in a mass grave. How do you, <laughs> like, it's one of those things where it's like, he would rather go with the man he left for dead, who has every reason to want to do the same to him, than to stick around with Jack and company. <laughs> And then Sawyer decides he's going to go. Because he's doing what he does best. Surviving. Yep. (laughs) Yep. 
Um, although I'm kind of surprised Sawyer goes because I, well, I guess I I don't know. Like I guess it's Sawyer's really could go either way because I could see him hedging his bet and be like, "Well, I'll go with Locke if things are if things are safe. Kate's not going to let me just." You know, someone will come get me, probably. In, <laughs> in in Sawyer's defense, Locke was the one that allowed him to get his revenge. Locke was the one that warned them about Juliet. And Locke is the one that, much like Hurley is reiterating, is reinforcing the story that, you know, like we were just talking about, Charlie died for. Yeah. So... Right now, and to be fair, also, even though the freighter's coming, isn't it just, isn't it prudent, not for, not just for a con man, but for, like, literally anybody with a good survival instinct to stand back, wait and see what happens before committing one way or another? Yeah. Like, I wonder if, I I don't, like I said, I don't remember how a lot of this plays out, but it would 100% make sense to me if Sawyer wanted to sit back, wait to see what all these freighter folks were about before hopping aboard, you know? Then it starts. Let's see how this plays out. (laughs) Then it starts to rain. The Locks group goes off one way, the group that Hurley will later apologize for going off with. Um, and Jack and them stay in the rain. And then a little later, they hear something in the rain. Doesn't quite sound like the rain. And they look, and there's a helicopter, and somebody parachutes out of it. And Jack and Kate race to see who it is. And the guy turns around, and it is a new character. Daniel Faraday, played by Jeremy Davies. That was it. I was like, I want to say Miles, but Miles is someone else. Miles is someone else. (laughs) Daniel, Daniel Faraday. Yep. Which he is, if I'm remembering correctly, Elise's son. That random woman from Desmond's time travel episode. Um, Like, this is her son, if I'm not mistaken. You are not mistaken. I remembered something. Um. So yeah, that's the start of season four. Uh, I did like this moment too because Kate and Jack are actually standing at the wreckage of the plane, um, and they have this moment too where they reflect on the fact that this, you know, this is where uh, the two of them and Charlie came out to way back when, all the way back in the first episode, which. Jack says feels like it was a million years ago or something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I liked that they gave these two characters a moment to mourn too. I feel like everybody who had a relationship with Charlie gets a chance to, to mourn in this episode. And I think that's important. Yeah. No, they do a good job with it. Um, so Megan, now I've got a couple of questions for you. Shoot. what is your jacob i'm gonna give it if you couldn't tell 
from the way I was talking about it. I'm going to give it to the moment where Jack pulled the trigger on Locke. Not because, again, I think it's necessarily good that Jack wanted to kill Locke, but I love the drama of this moment. I love the acting. It's, I love it's directing. Intense. It's intense. And I love this particular story beat in both of their journeys. Again, showing how these two characters who have been butting heads for so long, showing it like what different points they're at. Because again, John Locke, just in the previous episode, could not bring himself to kill Jack. And to the point where the gun that he had with him wasn't even loaded. And uh, versus Jack here, who is now, you know, with rescue, so, so close, so much within their grasp, is pushed so far to the edge that, you know, a doctor whose oath it is to do no harm was willing to pull the trigger on this man who he is perceived to be his enemy. I, I think it's a great, I think it's great in terms of the John, um, John Jack story arc in terms of like how those two characters um, in terms of their journey as as frenemies as antagonists to one another's story I, I think it's just I think it's a great moment um, I'm going to give it to the moment when Hurley tells Claire if you couldn't tell the way I talked about it that he tells Claire that Charlie uh, died because I think it feels really real really raw and look uh, Jorge Garcia does a phenomenal job in this entire episode, but that was probably my favorite moment. No, it's it's fantastic. And again, to this episode's credit, there are a lot of moments that could have taken our man in white, I think. You know, it's it's a really good episode. It's a much stronger start to season four than I thought season four would have. Um, what's your man in black? I mean, I love the horror movie stuff, but playing fast and loose with uh, the Jacob rules is always kind of annoying. Um, I will say also, I, I mean, we talked about it a little bit before in terms of it sets up for good drama in terms of how like seeing things play out, like setting up mysteries and seeing how they play out um, in terms of the structure of the fast forward. I think in this episode it works. Um, but I think probably in future episodes, if I'm remembering correctly, it feels less like structuring good mysteries and more like manufactured tension, if I'm remembering correctly. But Wait, that so I don't... It sounds like you're giving a preemptive man in black for like the entire <laughs> season. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, that's my concern right now is that at some point it's going to start feeling like manufactured tension, but that is not the case for this episode. So I think I'll give it to the fast and loose rules with Jacob. I think that's fair. Can can we say that's fair? I think that's fair. I'm going to give it to uh, Naomi's off getting firewood. Gonna give it to Jack's terrible lie. <laughs> his terrible lie and his once again like not listening to Kate and not knowing where the sat phone is. Always uh, listen to Detective Kate. She always when when Detective Kate is on the case, she's never wrong. 
Well, the season is off to a good start. Megan, where can the people find you? You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screens, where me and my roommate talk about horror things. And I'm a member of Rooster Team Radio, where me and my co-hosts talk about Rooster Teeth-related productions. So go check those out. And you can follow me on Twitter at the Real Will Link. And you can buy my book, Crazy About Kurt, on Amazon.com. Uh, so... Until next time, see you in another life, brother. Hey there, everybody. I'm Will Link of No Love Lost. With me, as always, Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk to you about the podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Uh, yeah, the podcast Jukebox Network has been super supportive of us as we venture back to the island. Uh, and so we just wanted to take a minute to thank uh, them and to let you guys know that you guys should be supporting the other podcast put on by this fantastic network. If you are enjoying No Love Lost, definitely give a listen to many of the other podcasts, far, many of which are far less vanilla than we are. Uh <laughs> Uh, uh, Off the Cuffs, which is kind of the flagship show of the network. It is the BDSM kink podcast that kind of launched this whole network uh, off. You've got the Goth Librarian podcast. You have Being There podcast, a great storytelling podcast. You have The Queers Next Door, also on the network. Uh, Proud to be Kinky. Uh, Drinks with God. And a little podcast that's close to my heart, Megan. What is that one called? Will Sean Podcast? Yeah. Will Hmm. he? I don't know. Spoiler alert. uh, Not as frequently as usual. (laughs) But you should definitely subscribe to all these shows. Rate them. Listen to them on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, These are all fantastic storytellers. It's so important to be sex positive. So go support these other podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like us, you might like them. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) It makes sense. We're on the same network. (laughs) So yes, rate and subscribe to all these terrific shows. And don't forget to rate them all five stars. And also rate us five stars. Yeah, while you're at it, you're listening to us. Might as well give us a rating. (laughs) You're already there. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, guys.